0: Uh, the 6th of January marks Epiphany, and that's kind of fitting because we're going to look at the story that inspires the celebration of Epiphany, the appearing or manifestation of the Christ to the Gentiles. And the early church, in the West at least, celebrated Epiphany before they celebrated Christmas, which is interesting because most of us just kind of cruise right over Epiphany. So tomorrow marks that, and today's Epiphany Sunday. Uh, but it's interesting how the lesson just happened to work out. I didn't choose this to, to do it. Just all matched. It just worked out. Yeah, it wasn't going to. And then last week we had one service at ten, and that did it. There, there you go. So that's how that's how that works. So we're going to look at the story in Matthew chapter two. We're just going to look at part of it this morning. And of course, that is the uh, visit of the Magi. The Magi, however you want to say it, the wise men. Um, I'm going <coughs> to. Say up front, because it's easy to get bogged down in some of the stuff we're going to discuss, I want to say up front that we don't miss what Matthew is trying to do here. So, what is Matthew doing by recounting this particular episode? Luke doesn't recount this, he doesn't bring this up. Matthew, as you recall, is trying to to drive home the point that Jesus is indeed the King of the Jews, the King, the coming, the awaited Messiah. And what he does in this particular uh, story with this particular account is is show how even the Gentiles, that's you and me, even the Gentiles are beneficiaries of the coming of the king. And indeed, he sets up the contrast that it's the Gentiles who through seeking in their own limited ways (laughs) Find the king, whereas the Jewish leaders who have the scripture and all of the tradition ignore the king. So you have right away that division that in the prophecies of the coming of Christ would happen, that there's going to be division, and we see it already. Matthew will end, of course, his gospel with. The great commission that Jesus says to go out and share the good news with all the world, the Gentiles. And here he begins with the good news coming to the Gentiles. So let's not miss what he's trying to do in amidst all the stuff we're going to look at or discuss. And the reason we do that is because there's so much not said. And because we're who we are and we're inquisitive, We want to know more, but Matthew doesn't give us more. So there's lots of speculation, and we have 2,000 years of church history and subsequent speculation to kind of swim through. And what we're going to do is kind of skim those waves. We're not going to dive deep in all of the controversies and all the possibilities, but we will look at answering some of those questions we have, because Matthew just says, hey, wise men came from the east and started looking for the king. And I'm like, whoa, 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 who are these guys? where did they come from? How did they know? And all these kind of things. And he brings up a star and we want to know more. And he just poof, cruises through. So, us diving into all that means we could miss the point. So, I wanted to make sure we got the point up front. So, if you're all about just getting the point, you can leave now you. and you don't have to worry about the rest of the lesson. All right, well, you see the outline is divided into two parts. First, where is the king? Because that's kind of what's going on. You have the magi coming and wanting to discover where, where is born the king, the king of the Jews. And then we see subsequently their worship of the king. So with that being said, let's hear verses 1 through 8. Jay is not here. So someone else. Oh, go for it.
1: Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him gathered together all the chief priests and scribes and people. He began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem <coughs> and said, Go and make careful search for him. And, and when you found him, report to me, uh, that, that I too may come and work.
0: <laughs> like how you put in the little deceptive hmm. <laughs> report to me. No, I will work. Good job. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, um, notice that it's just after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and we looked at all of that story from Luke chapter 2. In the days of Herod the king, and we have unpacked Herod quite a bit. This is Herod the Great, um, died in 4 BC, so we know that Jesus was born before that. Okay, That's how we know when Jesus was born. Um, Again, called the Great because he was, in many ways, a good ruler in that he, was, he, he, he did care for people during famine and uh, he, did, he did back a lot of major building projects, indeed the refurbishing of the temple. But he was also crazy near the end of his life and uh, very paranoid about power. Uh, he, the Jews didn't like him. They already saw him as an eat from Edom, a usurper. Uh, we talked about why he came to be king, but he was appointed that by Rome. They didn't see him as their true king. But, so he was just invested in power, constantly worried about someone who's going to rise up and take his place or usurp him, and worried about invasion from the east. Ooh, Those sorts of things. So Herod the Great. Um, it's during that time, Behold, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem and they said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. Now, they didn't come to Herod right away. This is just, they came to Jerusalem and that's their purpose. So they're asking around, where is the king born? Herod hears about it through the grapevine. Stuff starts percolating. But it's right away that we start asking the questions, right? Right? Who are these guys? What does Magi mean? Were they kings? Where did they come from? How many were there? How did they know? What's the star? All of those questions, I hope you asked those. If not, now you have. And there's even more. So let's try to, try to unpack it just a little bit. That word is where we get our word magician, okay, in case you're wondering, if you're wondering why, why that's that. Uh, that's where we get our word magician, it's a Persian loan word, and in that area of Mesopotamia, around Babylon and all those areas, the old Babylonian empire, and the Medes and the Persians, there were uh, a caste of men who were the magi, the magi. These were not magicians in the sense of uh, you know, tinkers with, with you know, formulas and those sorts of things but those who would look into the heavens to read the heavens and the portents in the sky and to interpret dreams and those sorts of things. They were were counselors to the royalty. They weren't royalty themselves. They were more courtiers, but highly educated. They would be the educated caste of the society. What were they doing? Well, in the East, whether it be Persia, Babylonia, somewhere near most scholars think probably in the Babylon area because of their knowledge of there's going to be a Jewish king born a messiah. And of course there's still a significant a significant population of Jews who were left after the exile still in that area. And see these are learned men so perhaps they did indeed want to study the Jewish scriptures as well. Some even speculate that they may have been Jewish themselves. We don't know. But from the east means that these guys were probably looking at, not just on one night, but all the time looking at the stars. Now, why would they do that? We have a difference between astronomer and astrologer, right? Astronomers study the heavens, and today, looking at the you know the, the night sky, trying to figure out the the patterns of the stars and the planets and those sorts of things, astrologers do the same thing, but attach significance or meaning to the motions they see in the heavens. People today who follow astrology are basically an anachronism because the The cosmology, meaning the understanding of the heavens that dictated astrology, is no longer valid, but the the actual practice still comes about, people still try to, to play with these things. But then, the universe for an average person then, especially as a learned man at that time, was much more compact in their minds, much smaller. We have a tendency to think that everyone thought the world was flat, back then, that's not the case. Uh, learned men of this day believed that the earth was a globe, and this happened centuries before, by the way, with, with the Greeks, and that the heavens circled this globe. It was heliocentric. I mean, a geocentric, meaning they thought the earth was the center, and the heavens circled, and they circled on spheres. This all comes from Aristotle and certain spheres of the heavens. And they saw the main planets as the guiding stars or planets of the sky. And they understood that the patterns of those things could dictate what happens on Earth. And what happens on Earth could disturb the patterns of those things. All was one part, in other words, a much more cozy, if you want to think of it that way, universe. An inaccurate cosmology from what we understand about the heavens now, but our universe is much more immense and cold and dark. Our metaphors today are of laws. We have a dark, cold universe because our major metaphor is the laws of physics. Very stark. They had the music of the spheres, very different sort of understanding. Notice the power of metaphor, and my mouth is dry. <clears throat> well, anyway, uh, we could talk about cosmology and the progression and the understanding of our place in the heavens. That could be a whole lesson in and of itself. But just know that these people, these magi, weren't just going, I wonder what my horoscope is. There was much more going on with their study of the heavens. And in their ongoing study of the heavens they see a star. So now the question is what's the star? We're told that they see the star. In the, they're, they're in the east and they see the star. We're told later in the verses we're going to read that the star reappears to them once they're in Jerusalem going to Bethlehem and guides them directly to the home where Jesus is living with his mom and dad. So, what is this? That doesn't sound like a normal star to me. So, there obviously, now you can imagine how much speculation has come because of this. What was the nature of the star and all those things? Well, just know it ranges all the way from completely supernatural, different, type of luminary in the heavens just for these magi they're the only ones who saw it and it guided them very specifically the whole way all the way to the other end of the spectrum of there was no literal star it was just that inner star of inspiration okay so and then you have a range of options in between i'm not going to give you all of them but just know that people have speculated was because comets portended things in the, he, you know, in the heavens about the birth of kings especially, or the death of kings, those sorts of things. Was it a comet? Was it Halley's Comet? Halley's Comet was way too early for this to have happened, so that one's out, but maybe it was a rogue comet of some other kind that, that we don't know about. Maybe it was a comet. Maybe it was a supernova. There was a supernova, the explosion of a star, a very bright ending of a star, that was recorded by the Chinese and Korean astronomers of the time, that happened in 5 B.C. Maybe it was that. Uh, maybe it was a conjunction of planets. Uh, maybe they're talking about, a, a, but that wouldn't be, that's not going to be make it extra bright, by the way. It's just, they're going to, by observing the heavens, they're going to see it. It only happens every, and the, the conjunction people speculate about is Jupiter and Saturn and it only happens every 789 years, so it's happened since, and it happened in 7 B.C. And what happens is Jupiter, of course, is that planet, that star that represents royalty by Jove kingship, okay? Jove, Je- Jupiter, Saturn, for the, for the, the, in the ancient Near East, was rep- represented basically Israel, The Jews, basically. And this happened in the constellation of Pisces, which was thought to prefigure Palestine. Now, these these magi, having understanding of the Jews looking for the Messiah, and they weren't the only ones. There was also, all over the, the, the ancient Near East, an understanding that there's going to be this deliverer king come with that knowledge, combined with their study of the heavens and their openness to well, what happens in the heavens, predicts what's going to happen on the earth or is something that happens to the earth, putting all those together, some scholars speculate, well, that's how they thought, that's the star of the king of the Jews. There are some who combine these things, and, and I think maybe we need to. Some speculate that it was that conjunction that got them thinking about it in 7 B.C. and then the supernova of 5 B.C. got them going. Again, this is complete speculation. We don't know. I kind of tend to go with a combination view that there was something God spoke to them in the language they had at the time because God does that, he accommodates himself to us. And with, with the light, no pun intended, that they had, God showed them that the king had been born. And then once they got to Jerusalem and subsequently to Bethlehem, there was more of a supernatural guidance of some kind. Others would say the star is representative of an angel, a guiding angel. We know that angels are referenced as stars occasionally. All of this, Matthew doesn't tell us. So, it could all be wrong or parts of it could be right. But just know that what Matthew is telling us, it was these guys from the East using their language, which is not specific revelation that the Jews have, special revelation of the prophets, but just their desire to know leads them. So that's, that's what's cool about that. Were there three of them? We don't know. All of us know why history says there were three, because of the three gifts. gifts. So there's just been, so hence three, but we're not told, there's just more than one of them. And we have a tendency to think of three guys dressed in sort of Persian regal attire, on camels, (laughs) kind of Lonely trekking across the desert with a treasure chest. That wouldn't happen. Just so you know, it's 900 miles probably from where they are on the route they would have to take to Jerusalem. It's going to take a while to get there, and they're not just going to, however many there are, they're going to have a large entourage and probably a military presence to guard this treasure. Why would they bring treasure? Well, that's what you do to keep. You bring treasures to kings in the ancient world. It's usually reciprocated. You give gifts. Why do people think they're kings? We're not told anything about being royalty. Well, that happened over time, over the centuries, with the speculation from the Psalms and Isaiah that kings would come to worship the Messiah. So, over time, you had the attachment of royalty, kingship to these guys. And then speculation goes wild. About 700 years later, we have names for all three of them, right? Uh, Melchior, Balthazar, and Gaspar, from three different regions, one from India, one from Egypt, one from Greece. later we discovered their bones their bones were then moved to supposedly to the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople and then subsequently to Milan and now in the cathedral at Cologne and again
1: did they have the DNA
0: test? <laughs> <laughs> what's cool is that people recognize the importance of this all of that, though, is accretion over time of legend. What we can know for certain, or what we can know from Matthew, is you have some of these educated men from the East who saw a sign in the heavens that said the king is born to the Jews. Naturally, where are they are going to go if a king is born to the Jews? To Jerusalem. And they arrive and start asking. Now, when they arrive, here's what we got to remember. This is not going to be something that, hey, look at those three kings. Remember, they're arriving, however many of them there are, with a large entourage. This is a, a considerable group of people. People will notice these guys coming. They'll note their approach. Uh, you know, the, in other words, they didn't just show up and go, hey, where's the king? Is Herod around? I'd like to ask him where the king you know, is. This is something that people know about in advance, and these people come, and why are you here? That would be the question. Why are you here? Especially Herod. Remember, he's, he's always worried about invasions and usurpation. He would want to know, we've come to, to pay homage to, to worship the birth, the one born king of the Jews. Notice, born king of the Jews. That would, ooh, a Herod. He wasn't born king of the Jews. He just has that title. So they're asking. And you can imagine the people, what, what are you talking about? And word starts filtering out. And of course, Herod would hear. He would know. And if there's one person who's going to be troubled about this, it's going to be Herod. And when Herod is troubled about something, everybody's troubled about something. Remember, he's, he's, he's got a reputation of being rather rash in his, in his uh, putting down any threat to his power. Had his favorite wife assassinated, his sons. Uh, And I told you as well, he, he he had Jewish, basically Jewish, you know, aristocrats rounded up and ready to be executed when he knew his death was imminent. So that there would be lamentation at his death, at the time of his death, if not for his death. So, really nice guy. So, we're told that he is troubled. That's not a very good translation. Vexed agitated, whatever you want to think, and all Jerusalem with him. And not, because they know, oh man, this is great. He's going to think we're trying to revolt. We invited these guys here. They're the new, they're announcing a new king. And especially the religious leaders, they would be the ones quaking and nervous about this. Because their power is associated with Herod's power. If Herod goes down, there's going to be a shake up with them too. So, anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on. So they're troubled. So he asks the chief priests and scribes of the people to about what's going on. And notice he inquires about where the Christ was to be born, the Messiah. Notice Notice the link. The king is the Messiah. The anointed, the awaited king is the Christ, the Messiah. If you recall from our studies from Acts, Sadducees, Pharisees, don't get along. Why would I bring up Sadducees and Pharisees? The priestly caste was majority Sadducees. The scribal caste, meaning those who were experts in Jewish law, they weren't lawyers in our sense of the word, but experts in interpreting and applying the Torah, were mostly Pharisees. So you have Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees are not looking for a Messiah at all. They see themselves and the rise of Israel basically as the embodiment of that messianic promise in Isaiah. The Pharisees are indeed looking for a Messiah, but are not looking for one at that time. Now, there was a group at the time living outside of, of Jerusalem, near the Dead Sea. You've probably heard of them, the Qumran community, the Essenes. They were looking for a Messiah at that very time, but he didn't consult them. Why just the scribes and the the chief priests? Well, that's the Sanhedrin. That's who makes up, basically, the Sanhedrin. Probably called them together to find out, all right, you've heard about this. They're proclaiming the birth of a king, the Christ. Where was this to take place? So they, of course, with Scripture... Now, I, what I find amazing is, is they don't go, now what? Like the Pharisees, what? Okay, oh, this, they're saying Messiah's been born? There's not like a big rush to find out so they could go and worship themselves. It's these Gentiles who are doing this. But they do know the scriptures from Micah and they tell, they tell uh, Herod that in Bethlehem of Judea, Because it's been written by Micah. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who shall shepherd my people, Israel. What's intriguing about this is that that's not a direct quotation of either the Masoretic text, meaning the Hebrew text, or the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the text there's some changes. And of course, scholars speculate. Now, did Matthew make those changes to just drive home that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy of being born in Bethlehem? Or this is supposed to be what was read at the Sanhedrin meeting. Did they, had they already made those changes? And there's a lot of debate, right? I'll tell you about the changes in a sec. A lot of debate. What appears, however, what I, what I, I kind of consider, is that there is, by that time, um, a recognition of this particular prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And these changes, I think, represent Matthew actually driving home. They're not changes to the content of, of the actual point or purpose of it. It's a change that shows that this has indeed happened. Well, what are those changes? In, in Micah, the first line is, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Ephrathah is an archaic term for the region of Bethlehem that wasn't used anymore. And that's why Matthew has, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah. To emphasize as well, it's a place they know, he just changes a region. Next, Micah says, of of Bethlehem, this town, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Matthew says, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. The intent is the same. In other words, by saying, you, too little to even be recognized... The, the, the point is that you will be great, and Matthew drives that home. He drives it home by saying, and by no means least, now. And then finally, from you one will go forth to be ruler in Israel. That's Micah. Matthew says, out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Micah goes on, and we don't have it here, says... His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. But that's not here. Additionally, you have sort of a, a shadow from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, on the, in the end of this, about being a shepherd to the people. So what I'm trying to help you to see here is that some people may say, well, look at this, he's quoting scripture and it's wrong. There's things that are changed. There's no substantive change. And Matthew, remember, for his audience, is trying to drive home for them that this has been fulfilled. A student of Scripture that day would have been able to look at that, and they wouldn't have freaked out. They would have gone, whoa, look what you've done. They would have recognized a very Jewish way of interpreting and translating and interpolating on Scripture. So he wasn't doing anything new. The point, however, is that all are in agreement that Bethlehem's the place. So Herod's got his information, and now he calls these magi. Now he he wants to meet with them, but notice he does it secretly. Yes, sorry. I'm
1: struck by two things. First off, the, the, the priests and the scribes knew the prophecy. I mean, they probably quoted it very quickly. They didn't believe it. hmm <clears throat> they, they, they weren't looking for the Messiah. They probably didn't want one.
0: The but Sadducees, they, especially, yeah. yeah.
1: They were very upset. They
0: yeah, uh, <laughs> they're sad, you see. Yes.
1: So I was struck by the fact that they just not look. They're not believing. Very good. It. And yeah. Secondly, Bethlehem was not the least of the towns because a certain gentleman shepherd named David. David, out of there. yes. But. How quickly did they relegate it to that ash heap
0: of history, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, that's the town of David. Um, and what's you know, you, you know, and that's what Matthew's driving in. That's good, because he's trying to show the, the the difference here. It's only nine miles. Now, of course, you have to walk it, that's a ways, but it's just nine miles. Wouldn't you just go see? But not if you're not looking. And again, that contrast. They had the scriptures, and don't even go look. Herod, of course, sneakily, oh, I'm sorry, there was a hand. I see that hand, yes, I see that hand, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So the whole imagery doesn't fit their expectation. Yeah. (coughs) Exactly. Well, Herod doesn't care one way or the other. (coughs) He wants to get rid of this. So he inquires of them when they come secretly, when did you see this sign? And that's going to matter because later we're going to read, not later today, but later, Uh, Next week, we'll read that he wanted to know that, wanted to ascertain that so that he could implement a plan to just pretty much do a scorched earth policy on all all newborns within a certain period of time. And we're told later that he said two years and under, so it's somewhere within that window. He's probably trying to just be overly cautious in saying two years. We don't know how old the child is, but we'll read about that in just a moment. So, (coughs) the Magi have no reason to doubt, necessarily. They're probably a little more cunning than that. So, okay, yeah, we'll go and we'll look. Well, they're looking. Now let's read the second half, verses nine through 12 in worship of the king. I meant someone else read it. That's kind of what I meant to say. so having just been told by Herod, you know, you report back to me so that I can go worship him. Uh, they went their way. What's interesting is we, they're guided by a star. So they know they have to go to Bethlehem. You know, Herod would have told them that. Um, they had come to Jerusalem because where else would you seek the king uh, from this, you know, this general knowledge of revelation that they had. But now Herod tells them, Bethlehem, and now they're guided, again, we're told, by a star, which means, interestingly, they traveled at night, almost as if, and most people didn't travel at night. Remember, however, they have a large entourage with them, they're not as fearful, and being magi probably are looking again for that sign, which would have to be during the night. And notice uh, Matthew's language, and lo, that's great. We don't, how many of you used lo this week? And lo, I did, you know, we should bring that back. Try to work that in somewhere this week. And lo, yeah, and watch people amaze at your. But what that is is, and what do you know? That's how we would say it. And guess what? that's how we would say it, the star was there, and they're surprised, and now we see something a little bit different, notice it actually guides them, Um, if you try to be guided by a star to a specific location, you're going to be sorely disappointed, because they follow you, you when you were little, didn't the moon follow you, it's like, whoa, man, and all the luminaries do, so something different, something normal stars don't do, what's going on. A lot of folks say, well, that's kind of supernatural. Yeah, we're dealing with the birth of the king. You know, hey, you swallowed the virgin birth, and now you're upset about a star? Come on. <laughs> and Yeah, it's, there's, I think you've got to have something supernatural going on here, not something we're necessarily always looking for. Because this leads them specifically to a house. Notice, I'm sorry, not a manger. Okay, if your manger scene has the, the cameled kings, it's okay, okay? Just know that you might have to set them out a little while later for them to come visit. But, and you have to move Jesus from the manger into an actual house. And those are real words, different words than Luke uses, even the word for the child. Luke uses a Greek term that means infant when he talks about the baby in the manger. This is the word for a young child. Now that can happen, It doesn't mean he's you know, a toddler necessarily, but he's no longer a, a small infant. So scholars will speculate he's probably a year old or less than a year old, somewhere in there, especially if... Let's say they did leave in 5 BC. Magi left in 5 BC and had to travel all that time. And most people will put Jesus' birth between 5 and 4 BC, somewhere before 4 BC, mostly 5 B.C. for the birth of Jesus. So he would have been several months old by this time. We're told well, why are they in the, why are they in Bethlehem and not back home in Nazareth? We looked at that last week because they had been there for the census and, and, and them and for the presentation and all those things. And recall as well, Joseph probably has property there. That's why he was in Bethlehem to begin with. But they haven't made it back to Nazareth. And they won't for a while because we'll look at that next week as well. So the star guides them and they rejoice with exceeding great joy. That's a great, I love that. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It's redundant. Rejoicing with joy. Well, of course you were. What else are you going to rejoice with? With joy. That's just, And that's okay. Redundancy is an, in, for emphasis here. Would that we rejoiced with great joy. And they did. Because they had found what they're looking for. Now, how much did they understand? That's another question. Uh, In their general understanding of God speaking to them in their language, what did they understand about who Jesus was? Did they understand the full portent of him being the God-man, God incarnate, the Christ in that sense? I'm going to suggest probably not, because even the early church took a while to figure out that. His disciples, it took a while to figure that out. So probably not, but in whatever way they can do homage and worship in that sense, they do. They know this child is important. And with Matthew, what he's saying is with the birth of the king of the Jews, you have the birth of the king, period. The Lord. Because as prophecy has said, with the birth of this king, the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, Israel would be what they're supposed to be and be the light and draw all nations. And here right away, you see that light drawing all nations. That's what Epiphany is about. A celebration of that revelation to us, the Gentiles, of that Jesus is here for Us, this king of the Jews. Well, they offer him gifts. So they open their treasure chest, and there's three that are mentioned. Now, there's a lot of of speculation about the the intent of the gifts. And we'll talk about that. But just know that these would be common, valuable gifts presented to kings. These are things that were valued. Gold, of course, is still valued. Some of you are wearing gold right now. Frankincense, some of you are wearing that right now. You know, perfume, uh, and it's used for other things. And myrrh, same kind of thing. Well, gold, of course, was, was synonymous with almost royalty. So you present gold to a king. In what form was this gold presented? We don't know. Not, probably not bars of gold, but probably, you know, you know things made of gold. Frankincense. Um, that's not a word we use all the time. Work that into your conversation. Use low and frankincense. <laughs> See, this week. See if you can do that. Um, but this was a... This was actually an incense, it's made of resin, you burn it and it gives off an aroma, a sweet aroma. It could be used, like I said, sometimes as perfume, but it was especially in the temple. It was used as one of the ingredients for that burnt offering of the incense offering that was constantly before the altar. So, those who would see larger imagery, and I don't think we're wrong to do so, See, of course, with the gift of gold, acknowledging the kingship of Jesus, the gift of frankincense, and associations with the temple, the acknowledgement of the priesthood of Jesus, or some would even go so far as to say the deity of Jesus, because of the associations with the temple. And then myrrh, all of you are probably aware, was, it was, had a wide array of uses, by the way, It's called myrrh because of a particular tree in the sap that came from that tree, the meros tree, myrrh, and it was used for a wide variety of purposes. Um, But the one we most are aware of, of course, is used as as a burial preparation, to put in with the burial wrappings to cut down on the odor of a decomposing body. Here, though, you would see myrrh as an anticipation of the sacrificial nature of Jesus for us, anticipating his burial. So, Now again, those are are speculative that have come about over the centuries, but I don't think it's wrong for us to, to think of those associations. Did the wise men have that in their mind? Well, probably not, given their limited understanding of the revelation of who this is. They're presenting gifts unbeknownst to them that will have significant meaning for this king. But they probably didn't know that. They're just presenting what you would to a king. And of course, their worship as well, unbeknownst to them, not realizing the full import of what that worship will mean and does mean. And we know that God is pleased with their following of this light. The light that they had, they followed. And God is pleased with their obedience because he warns them now through a dream to leave a different way. That Herod has tricked them. And they go their way. And then seven centuries later, we learn their names. But again, that was a lot of... I I warned you, right? There's going to be a lot of these details and things like that that are going to come at us and a lot of it's so much speculation. Let's not miss, however, the, the point here. The point is that this king, who is king of the Jews, rightly so, is also king of all, lord of all. And right away, we see men, using what little light they had in pursuit of truth they find the truth incarnate in Jesus Christ happy epiphany <laughs> yes did y'all hear that no. sort of no sorry man <laughs> yeah he blew that yeah. no he what he did he was he was saying he, he finds it extraordinary you know how how much the ripple effect of the Babylonian captivity of the Jews has these centuries later because with the Jews in that region, in Babylon, and those who were left behind with their, with their books, with their prophecies, with them maintaining as much as they can Torah in that location, what influence that would have on these men, that they, they had an inkling and an understanding of these things. Yes? Yes.
1: This is all according to God's plan. His Holy Spirit was working through all of these situations. Uh, so we yes. just have to see God's hand in all of it.
0: We do have to see God's hand in all of is Isn't that great? It was because of a, a, a census that the emperor wanted for taxation purposes that you have Jesus in Bethlehem to begin with. And these guys who just are doing what they do in trying to learn, seeing this, how God works through all these various ways to bring about His purposes.
1: Um, for the first time today, I'm wondering what became of the gifts. How did Mary and Joseph? Uh, did they? Is that how they? The gold they financed their trip to Egypt and the sojourn there. Very good. Did they? Hang on to the <coughs> uh, frankincense and
0: myrrh. The question, they, yeah. You know. She said, for the first time, I'm wondering what happened to the gifts. Um, they went to the pawn shop. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, although, uh, you, you mentioned that is that how they financed their trip? Most likely, that's what we're looking at. Um, is Many scholars would say they, they used at least some of it probably to finance their trip into Egypt. Yeah. Uh, whether they, how much they kept, and what they kept of of all of it, we're we're not told.
1: I find the the contrast in the study stunning and instructive. The, the magi would come, and they had court appropriate clothing. And they had the entourage. And they had these kingly gifts. And they went to a place where this small family had to use the paupers' payment when they add their sacrifice at the temple, which really shows us how God enters into everyone's life with with richness from his kingdom, mm. his heavens. And he brings it to even the, the paupers, the people who couldn't even afford the
0: sacrifice to right. get a couple of birds. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and
1: it, it's, it's, the, the contrast is stunning. Yes. Did y'all hear that one? All right, good. It also, if they're so poor, they have to give the paupers gift. Joseph probably didn't own property in Jerusalem. I mean, in Bethlehem, that they were still there.
0: Well, remember, landed property wasn't going to generate you money, necessarily, at that time. Like we, you know, we think of it. You know, ancestral sort of property that he's one of many. probably wasn't up to him completely. Yeah. All right, let's pray together. As always, Father, we are humbled by uh, your Holy Spirit um, who provides a way for us every week to join together uh, to be here to study your word. Uh, as we've already heard, it's by the guidance of your Holy Spirit that all these things that we're studying came about, and it's by your guidance and through the power of your Holy Spirit that we are even here discussing them. Pray that uh, as we go forward into this week, uh, that that we take this this joy, this exceeding great joy uh, that the Magi the Magi had, that uh, we take that with us, that we recognize uh, as we go into this week of. Uh, celebrating epiphany that we are the beneficiaries of the birth of the king and our prayer is that we are suitable representatives of that king we pray this in christ's name amen